turn to Galatians chapter 6. Fortunately, we only have four verses to cover today, verses 7 to 10, but they're important verses. Uh, A passage of scripture that I highly encourage you, it's kind of like you can just highlight, you know, the last half of the book of Galatians, you'll be fine. This morning you reap what you sow. The universe itself is under what we would call the laws of science or the laws of nature. Inviolatable laws. Those laws are so constant that when we talk about them, we talk about them as truth. And whether you're talking about the three laws of standard Newtonian physics or, or whether you're talking about Uh, the laws of thermodynamics or or whether you're talking about gravitation or any of these things uh, that that we would certainly say these things are absolutes, they're true. There are also laws that spiritually cannot be violated. And if you do violate them, you do so at your own peril. You, You see, I can tell you absolutely that just as the first law of Newtonian physics states that if a body persists in a state of rest, it, it will continue at rest until it's acted on by some outside force. That's why you love your reclining lounger in your living room. It allows you to lay at rest, and unless you act on it, either yourself or someone else, you're going to stay there at rest. Amen? The second law of physics that force equals mass times acceleration that the reason that we have a 55 mile an hour speed limit in our state is we figured out a long time ago that the faster you go and the heavier the car is, the more damage is done, amen? So, so there are things that we can all agree that you just simply can't get around them. If you crash at five miles an hour in a big heavy car, not much is gonna happen. If you crash at 100 miles in a big heavy car, a whole lot of damage is gonna happen. If you do not follow what the word of God says, whether you believe it to be true or not, there are consequences because you will reap what you have sown. Whether you believe the Bible is true or not has absolutely no bearing on whether it is true. It's true. So the choice that we have as humankind is to either agree with God or to not agree with God. And in these four verses, we find this incredible law of reaping and sowing. That we will reap what we have sown. And if we reap to the, if we sow to the flesh, uh, of the flesh we're going to reap. If we sow to the spirit, then of the spirit we will reap. And there is a radical difference between those two things and so would you join me and we'll pray and we'll take a look at these verses together father in heaven how we love you and we ask now that by your spirit you would speak to us these truths encourage us lord Uh, we believe that your word is true and god that we have a responsibility to live as you have purchased our lives, so we are to live for you. And so would you help us to understand and know what the Spirit would say today to us as your church, as your people, your beloved, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse seven, Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived. 
So Paul begins, as you might imagine, because he spent this whole book setting forth this argument that legalism can't save you, the law can't save you, that grace saves you, you might imagine that some people might be tempted to abuse that grace. Amen? If I'm saved by grace, then what does it really matter what I do? Why is that even important? And so to answer that, Paul now gives this gives us this law that we would call reaping and sowing. Sowing and reaping. For God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, he will of that flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, the Spirit will of the Spirit reap unto everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. You see, we live in a universe that is governed by laws. The order in the universe is actually one of the ways that we can identify that there must be a creator, that it's not the result of billions of years of evolution, random chance processes, and time acting on those random processes. It is extremely ordered. The rotation of stars, the fact that our universe even holds together is in and of itself a miracle and where the bible is spoken to these things as it does in job 26 and isaiah 40 god's actually instructed us that he has laws that he knows what's going on that he knows what he wants us to be and do as we live our lives on this earth and whether you want to acknowledge his sovereignty in your life or not the fact of the matter is what he says is absolutely true and so the apostle paul to that very strong opinion speaks of these absolutes the bible is filled with them we're we're looking at a passage tonight in daniel chapter 5 And we see this king, Belshazzar, who pulls out the implements that were stolen from the temple in Jerusalem and decides to party hardy with them. It's going to cost him. It's not a good thing to defile the Lord, it's not a good thing to defile his temple. You may think to yourself that you own your body and you can do with it as you please. Your body was created by God and for God. It is actually the residency, the temple for those who believe of the Holy Spirit. It belongs to him. It was purchased with the blood of Christ. And the reason that's important to us is if you disagree with that assessment... And you continue to reap those things in your life from your sowing to the flesh. 
I can tell you that that's going to be very painful. I was reading a biography on Ernest Hemingway. (coughs) Excuse me. Thursday, I almost didn't finish. Today, I'm a little better. He actually became insanely famous for snubbing his nose at God. He was well known as a man who loved to party. And in fact, he went so far as to write a mocking version of the Lord's Prayer. And in it, he said, Our nada, who art nada, explicative be your name. And he went on to tell his friends that he could live his life as he pleased, and that he was sick to death of Christians telling him that he ought to change his ways. The sage of all American authors, one might say. Took a pistol and took his own life because he found at the end of all of his mocking of God that there were no answers in life from the way that he was living. He reaped what he had sown. Your Bible tells us in Jude, the 18th verse, that mockers following after their own ungodly lust will continue. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame. You see, God has set forth a very clear delineation of how this world is supposed to function. Those moral laws are actually written on the hearts of all of mankind. That's the reason it is illegal to murder anyone in almost every country on the planet Earth. We all hold life sacred, regardless of whether you're Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or an animist. Innate within us is an understanding that there's something bigger than us. The problem is we get deceived. We, we want to say, well, there's just no absolutes. Well, the Bible is filled with them. He's told us exactly how he wants us to live. He hasn't written down every answer to everything that will come into your life, but he's given us so many principles whereby we can live our lives that we are without excuse. That's why Romans 1 clearly says that. We are actually without excuse excuse that even unbelievers people who don't know the lord have built in within them a very clear understanding of morality right and wrong and so paul says don't be deceived into believing lies we we live in a world that basically says there's really no consequences to anything Ask those young people who began vaping maybe a couple of years ago. Thinking that somehow we can continue these behaviors indefinitely. And just because there's no smoke involved with it, that somehow it's good to fill your lungs with particulates and chemicals. I've listened to Christians defend this. 
Well, you know, at least it's better than smoking. That's like saying fornication is better than adultery. That's like saying smoking pot's better than drinking yourself to death. God's given us understanding for a reason. But we deceive ourselves into believing there are no consequences to our actions. And so we just go about our way, just saying, you know, Lord, whatever. I don't really want you to be Lord. Could you just be Savior? Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. And there are consequences for not acknowledging his Lordship. You cannot violate those things, otherwise you will receive exactly the penalty of those things done. It is in essence what uh, a Buddhist or a Hindu would call karma. If, if you have a negative action, there's a pretty good possibility you're going to have a negative response from it. It's true in a biblical sense. It's true in a Christian sense, family. That's why Jesus called Satan the father of all lies. He wants to lie to us and say, well, there's no consequences. Just don't worry about it. Grace is free. It's cheap. Just do whatever you want. God will sort it all out in the end. The truth is he will sort it all out in the end. The problem is what you will suffer in the meantime. When you sit and you talk to people who got deceived into believing they can live their life apart from God and expect to receive a gracious ending and they find out that, you know what, Christians still get HIV. Christians still have STDs. Christians still get cancer. Christians still get cirrhosis of the liver. Christians still suffer the consequences of sinful behavior because they will not acknowledge that whatever you sow, that you will reap. If you sow to the flesh in unrighteousness, you're going to reap the consequences of those things. Now, praise God that because you're one of his kids, the worst consequence of all, being lost for eternity, was taken care of by the grace of God. But make no mistake, in your life today, you can reap some very serious negative consequences. I was talking to a young man just last week about his anger issues, and he was sharing with me why he felt the way he did. And honestly, he had every reason humanly to feel the way he did. But he is going away to prison probably for five to seven years. He had a reason to feel the way he did. But because he sowed to the flesh in unrighteousness additional violence, he returned evil for evil. He is now going to spend time in prison. And I can tell you he's not going to a church prison. He's going to a federal prison. And he's going to have to fight this horrible battle of incarceration. You will reap what you sow. And if you sow to the flesh, God's not mocked. It can have horrible consequences in your life. And so Paul is warning us here. 
just as it is true in botany. If you engage in things that God has clearly told you are not for the child of God, you're not going to necessarily be spared from the consequences of those negative things. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, have ever done these things, but we, you know, we used to get around 4th of July was always the big day. We would get these huge watermelons that Connie's dad would grow in his garden, and we would sit there and chop these, and we'd just gorge ourselves on watermelon. I like watermelon. And then we would get into these seed spitting contests. And then we wondered why there were watermelons growing in the lawn. Why? Because whatever you sow, that you will also reap. So if you're spitting watermelon seeds into your life, don't be surprised if some watermelons pop up. It is just as true in botany as it is in your spiritual walk. You're not going to get bananas off an apricot tree. Amen? You're going to get bananas. So don't be surprised when these things that Paul has described as works of the flesh become evident in your life if those fleshly things come back to haunt you. And in exactly the same way, don't be surprised that gentleness doesn't bring forth gentleness. It is a kind word that turns away wrath. Amen? You see, these things work both ways. And so if you sow to the flesh, then of the flesh you'll reap. So when you sow anger, what do you think you'll get back? Anger. If you sow bitterness, what do you think you get back? Bitterness. If you sow hatred, what do you think you get back? If you sow sexual sin, what do you think you'll get back? If you sow drunkenness, what do you think you'll get back? And likewise, on the opposite side, When you sow love, what do you think you get back? Love. You sow gentleness, what do you think you get back? Gentleness. If you sow self-control, what do you think you get back? Self-control. Control of self, because the Spirit comes alongside and says, you want it, you got it. Church, this is so important for us to grab This will help you with virtually every area of your life. You need only weigh things based on whether this is my flesh or the spirit. Do I want more flesh in my life or do I want more spirit in my life? And whatever seed you plant, you can expect a harvest. Because if you plant those seeds and water those seeds, you till those seeds, you prune those plants... Whatever you have put your time, talent, treasure, effort, and energy into, that is what you're going to get. It cannot be violated. So if you spend all your time sowing to the fleshly side of your existence, don't be surprised if you're not much used to the Lord. And you suffer a lot of negative consequences. Because God does love us and he chastens those who he loves. And so he allows those consequences to come into our life so that we will turn from the things that we're engaged in because he wants to bless us. He wants to do good in our lives. Simply stated, the seeds you sow matter. 
Amen? They matter. You can't ignore this law. And so in your marriage, if there's an argument between a husband and a wife, if one of you takes out the flesh seeds and begins to respond in anger and bitterness and hate and hurtful words, you're going to get that returned to you. But if on the other side, that person hears those words and says, I see what this is, this is the flesh, and shows back into the other person's life the gifts of the Spirit, I'm so sorry, I don't know how, how to fix this, but I am so concerned that this is partially my fault. Can you help me understand so I can change? You see, when you sow to the Spirit of the Spirit, because the Spirit comes along and helps that work, because that's what the Spirit wants to do, then the Spirit brings restoration. The Spirit brings healing. The Spirit brings control. The Spirit quenches the chaos. But we have to take this seriously. I have to recognize I have a part in this. What makes this law true is simple. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, of that flesh, reap corruption. My flesh is corrupt, and so is yours. Amen? Every person in this room at times can be envious. Every person in here can be a little greedy. Every person in here can be a tad selfish. Amen? We can do that, can't we? Because we are all still flesh. There's a part of us that is that unredeemed self that is governed by the Spirit if we allow the Spirit to govern it. But if we take the control of the Spirit out of the equation and we say, you know what, I'm just going to do what my flesh wants. God's not going to stop you. He's not going to just simply eliminate all of the choices that you can make that are bad. He's going to leave those in play and then he's going to let you reap exactly what you sowed. And that harvest can be terrible. Amen? And I know I'm speaking to a bunch of you in this room right now. And the reason I know that is you, is you come and you're seeking counsel. And the first thing you do is try and explain away why your sin is okay. I don't say that to shame anyone. But if you have to justify why your sinful response is okay, then you have missed this law. Because this law will help you fight that. I am never justified in a sinful response, ever, as a child of God. My response is supposed to be of the Spirit. And so when I am sinned against, what did we get told to do? You who are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest you yourself also be tempted in the same manner. Do you see how it works? The brother or the sister sent. Our response is either going to help or hurt the situation. How I respond to that is on me. Yes, I was sent against, but if I respond in more sin, what do you think is going to happen? We call it escalation, Amen? So when someone comes at you with an accusation, if you simply retort to them with another accusation, 
what do you think is going to happen? Instead of quenching and planting a seed of righteousness, you add fuel to the fire. And all of a sudden, that argument gets even hotter. That's what makes this law true. Bottom line is you only have two fields you can plant in. Hear this well. You have exactly two fields you can plant in. There is no neutrality. It's in one field or the other field. It's either in the flesh field or the spirit field. Now it can be really dead in the center of the flesh field. Or it can be dead in the center of the spirit field, but you're in one field or the other field. And the way you know is what the word of God says about that situation. So when the word of God speaks into our life, that's why I tell people, don't see how close you can get to sin. Because that's just sowing a little bit to the flesh. Amen? That's like giving the flesh an opportunity. That's why James said, don't give a foot place to the enemy. Don't allow him a place to stand. While you may not be directly sinning, you see people look at this and they go, well, you know, I didn't murder anybody yesterday. Well, praise the God, you know, praise God for that. I mean, hallelujah. But how much hating did you do on somebody? How much backbiting and gossip did you do? How much character assassination did you practice? Do you understand? Which field's it in? Which field is it in matters you see gossip is in the flesh field envy is in the flesh field that's why those sins that we would call the spiritual sins you're not really doing anything but you're just thinking something they're still in the flesh field the spirit field is easy to see we have to sow in the right field And while, as a believer, praise God, by his grace, we've been saved from the ultimate catastrophe, which is eternal death and separation from God, I've talked to so many Christians that are suffering what amounts to eternal death right here on this earth because of the consequences they have brought into their own life because they don't believe in gigo. Garbage in, garbage out. Good in, good out. It's a computer acronym. If you program a computer poorly, you can only get what you program in. If you write bad code, you're going to get bad results. The same is true in your life spiritually. If you sow any part of your life to the flesh, then you can expect some kind of harvest. Praise God, there's a promise to this law. And I want to leave on an up note here. Amen? And I don't mean to focus on the negative side, but it is the negative side that's most problematic for us, isn't it? Because I think most people know when you love people, it's hard for them to really have a problem with you. But see, what we don't see is when you're envious of them, what that does. When you're jealous, what that does. When you gossip a little bit or you backbite about what that does, that's just a little couple of seeds that you spitting into your own lawn. The wrong kind of seed. 
And so here's the promise. And let us not lose heart in doing good. Amen? That's a general good, but it is interesting because Paul uses the word that is assigned to the goodness of God, agathos. It is, it is not general good, kalos. It's God's good. It's you and I looking for the very best thing that God would do and say in that circumstance and sowing that into the field. That's you recognizing who you are and saying, look, I want to pour every bit of Jesus into this situation. I want them to know the love of God in a new, fresh way because the words that come out of my mouth. I want them to understand how much God can heal because of the way I speak in words that heal. You see, you can still speak truth And you can even speak correctively and at the same time still speak lovingly. Amen? And so for us, we need to bear in mind that this is a long, long race that we run called life. Amen? Part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, isn't it? Isn't that what we saw? But it seems maybe the most elusive to some of us Because here's how it works. I sow two seeds of love, and I sow three seeds of patience, and 45 seeds of anger and vengeance. (laughs) I I, I don't keep sowing the right seed. It's like after it doesn't work, after the first time. Well, they're just not receiving it, brother. So you think somehow the law changed. No, it says always if you sow to the flesh, you will reap of the flesh corruption. And it says always if you sow to the spirit and keep sowing to the spirit, that of the spirit you will reap of the good things of the spirit. Here's the problem. Sometimes you got to wait. Anybody hate waiting? I hate waiting. I am not a patient waiter. I'm one of those people, I'm the, I'm the guy that moves his cart eight times in Sam's Club. I see, I, I count what's in their basket. They only have 97 things. And so I move to the other line because I'm impatient. We have to be patient in our walk with the Lord and keep sowing to the Spirit. Because sometimes you don't see that crop pop up right away. I had a friend back in the 1970s, early 80s, that got into the business of raising jojoba beans. You ladies, if you have shampoo with them in there, uh, I'll give you a little secret. You, you see, they got sold this bill of goods by this guy that was helping them plant their jojoba beans. And he told them of all the profits that you could make. And he just went down this long, oh, man, you'll be rich. And all these. He did tell them it takes nine years to get your first crop. <laughs> they're out there watering the first year. They're coming up. Oh, praise God. Look how tall they are. And the next year, they only grew about an inch. And then another inch. Pretty soon they're out there with a chain. I'm putting these things. I'm not watering this anymore. Actually, did <laughs> cut down all the trees that they planted. Gave up. 
The same is true in your spiritual walk. You have to keep planting good seeds of righteousness. You have to keep at it. It's hard to be kind when people are being mean to you. It's hard to be gentle when people are being angry with you. It is hard to continue down a path of righteousness when unrighteousness is so prevalent. But we have to keep planting the right seeds in the right field. We can't get exhausted. We can't give up. We have to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the labor of the Lord, knowing that that labor is not in vain in him. I don't know what I'm going to reap. I just know what I'm sowing. I don't know how big that harvest is going to be and when, but I know what crops I'm planting. And when I plant the right things, I can let God have the rule of the harvest. Amen? And so church, brothers and sisters, family, this promise is yours. And the way you apply it is very, very, very simple with your life. As you have opportunity. The word here, opportunity, is not a specific point in time. It is pointing to the totality of your entire life. Because your opportunity is every moment of every day that you walk on this earth. That's when your opportunity is. Because you can sow to one field or the other field. And you can sow one type of seed versus the other kind of seed. So the opportunity is yours every day to sow to the Spirit. And if you do, and if we will, if I do the right thing, then the results are in God's hands. I am not responsible for what happens after I do the right thing. God is responsible because of the Spirit, it says you shall reap. Notice that. It doesn't say of your own work and effort and blood and sweat and tears. Your job is to put the right seed in the right field and leave the results in the hands of God. If you do that and wait patiently, you are guaranteed a harvest of righteousness. You will see it. You'll live long enough to see it in the land of the living, Scripture says. So let's just love on people. So good seed in the right field. Help God by tilling and keeping the weeds out. And know that he has a desire to pull out of your life beautiful fruit that abounds and lasts into eternity if we'll just simply sow seeds of righteousness. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray together. Praise him. Amen? I want to remind you, if you're here today, maybe you're just struggling. We, we have a prayer team in our prayer room, warriors that want to go to battle right over here in the corner. Maybe you're struggling. You just keep planting the wrong seed in the wrong field, and you just need to be delivered from that. Go be prayed with. If you haven't met the Lord Jesus, you, you need to know how to do that. The first way is you need to know him personally. You can't sow to the Spirit until in the Spirit you live. 
And so you need to know Jesus personally. But for us as the church, it's actually our joy to watch God work in our lives. Amen? To watch him change things that the world says are unchangeable. They're not. Because he is able to bring a harvest out of every last one of us if we'll just simply sow to the Spirit. Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Spirit in my own life. Lord, I used to be a bitter, angry guy who pretty much hated everybody. Lord, now I can't even look at puppies. (laughs) Lord, only you could do that. Only you could do that, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your work in each of our lives and pray that you would help us to spot the right field and plant the right seeds. Lord, help us to sow to the Spirit so of the Spirit we can reap those good things that you have for us. Help us to flee the flesh. Lord, get rid of that flesh field. Help us to not even walk over there anymore. Pray for those that are struggling maybe today. Would you strengthen them? Help them to run hard. Press on. Thank you for loving us and blessing us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.